Judge Jeanine Pirro. She's the outspoken host. Judge Jeanine Pirro is dominating the headlines right now. Tunnel to Towers Foundation presents the Judge Jeanine Pirro Show. Now, here's Judge Jeanine Pirro. Welcome, everyone, to the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. It is Sunday here in New York. I hope everyone is enjoying their day so far. Uh, It's always a great day in New York City, uh, especially when you're high up. Uh, sometimes it's better being high up than being on the street. But as always, I am armed and ready to serve justice with all my great listeners here on the Red Apple Audio Network. Everybody, it's now January of 2023. Don't forget, when you write those checks out, write them out with 23 on there. So there's so much that happened this week in America. Uh, and we're going to get to the topics and break them down for you. But let me just give you an idea of what's going on. Uh, there was an arrest made in the uh, Idaho murders of those four college students. A criminology major working on his Ph.D. at Washington State uh, University has been charged with four first-degree murders. Uh, he may face the death penalty. Uh, and what is fascinating about it is now the uh, the public sees the hard work that's done by law enforcement. The uh, Idaho State Police, uh, along with the Moscow Local Police Department that hadn't seen a homicide since 2015, uh, as well as the FBI, did a bang-up job. They were on this, and kudos to them. They not only did a great job in terms of the investigation, combining uh, uh, technical and uh, forensic evidence along with classic gumshoe cop investigations uh, that led them to Brian Kohlberger. We got a look at it with the probable cause affidavit that was unsealed on the day that Kohlberger was arraigned when he was uh, returned back to the state of Idaho to face a prosecution. Now, uh, we're going to be talking about the role of DNA and the role of uh, security cameras, the uh, circumstantial evidence, along with what appears to be solid DNA evidence, beginning with genealogical DNA, then to uh, DNA on his father's side, and then I am sure now to a one-on-one DNA that makes it one in trillions. Uh, I also want to talk about the fact that there is one person who actually saw the murderer uh, and uh, he stared at her. She was frozen, uh, then closed the door. Uh, She saw him dressed in all black with a mask on his face, covering his face, but saw bushy eyebrows. She then locked her door. uh, And as uh, it appears at this point, based on the information we have, There was no call until noon the next day. Uh, Classic stuff, folks. Criminal returning to the scene of the crime. Classic also in the sense that uh, he had posted uh, information on the Internet, trying to find out if anyone was a criminal, what it was like committing the crime. Love this stuff. This is is classic law enforcement stuff and law enforcement at its best. Also this week, the battle for speaker... Uh, We saw how the sausage is being made in Washington. It was nonstop. But uh, in the middle of all that, Joe Biden comes out and says he's finally going to visit the border. Ain't that dandy? 
after two years, Joe Biden says he's going to visit the border. And in his speech, he attacks the Republicans. In his speech, he talks about those extremist Republicans. And he says that he'll go there. And I'll tell you what, folks, my prediction is that uh, his, his speech where he says the process is orderly, it's safe and humane and it works, tells me he's going to go there and gaslight the rest of us. He says it's the most extreme Republicans that are demagoguing this issues. They reject solutions. And I'm left to do what I can to try to change the atmosphere. Wait a minute, Mr. President. With all due respect, whatever, uh, you've got people living on the streets in Texas, cold, no beds. You've got even Democrat governors at this point sending immigrants up north. It's a mess. And the Joe Biden is going to blame it on the Democrats when he, on the Republicans, when he had the House, the Senate, and the Oval, he could have resolved it. But you know, he didn't talk about the gangs and the human trafficking and the fentanyl that's killing 100,000 Americans a year. No, he talked about giving them asylum and maybe even giving them asylum from a foreign country. Like, hey, file over there. No problem. Uh, and that we should recognize, this is a quote, folks, that as long as America is a land of freedom, we, people are going to try to come here. And it's important to step back and see the bigger picture, Biden said, citing the migrants' desire to seek their own version of the American dream. Really? Their own version of the American dream? It's our nightmare at this point. Ask Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City. Ask anyone at the border. It is a nightmare. This guy's living in an alternate universe. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about Damar Hamlin. Uh, The fact that uh, he woke up and we were all concerned about maybe the lack of oxygen going to his brain. Now we find out he wakes up and says, who won the game? And uh, so it is a clear indication that he is certainly on the road to recovery. And we're going to be speaking with Fox News contributor, Dr. Mark Siegel. And after that, we're going to be joined by a law enforcement expert, retired detective, NYPD, Mike Palladino is going to give us an update on the quadruple murder in Ohio. And later on in the show, I gavel out with my closing arguments. It's all coming up in just a few moments here on the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. But that's my opening statement. Get ready for some great discussion. And never forget, that's a commitment we made on 9-11. Honor it by donating $11 a month to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. This is the Judge Janine Show. This is the Judge Janine Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Bureau. Welcome back to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. 
Joining us now is the clinical professor of medicine and a practicing internist at NYU Langone Medical Center. He's also an author and a very familiar face to many of us uh, as a Fox News contributor. Uh, and he is someone that during the pandemic from the start or all the way till today has been tracking the pandemic. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Mark Siegel to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Uh, good morning, Dr. Siegel. Uh, it's a good morning this morning, uh, but I think it's an especially good morning for Damar Hamlin and his family, given the hellish week that they went through last week. First of all, Judge, it's always a good morning when I'm on with you. I can oh, tell you that. Thank you. But <laughs> I, I mean, three words have changed the the, the uh, trajectory for Damar Hamlin. Did we win? Did we win? And I'll tell you, I mean. I'll tell you how profound that is. I talked to our head of uh, rehab at NYU, Steve Flanagan, who's an expert on recovering from brain trauma. And brain is where where my mind has been on DeMar Hamlin, because did he get enough oxygen to the brain? But did we win means that he remembers the game, that he literally remembers the game. And of course, he's not going to remember anything after the game. He was he, he had a cardiac arrest and was resuscitated. And those four emergency room physicians from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center that were on the field and we don't know the exact details of how they pounced and when, how much CPR he had but he had that defibrillator used which is the life-saving uh, machine that you put on someone and it senses your rhythm and if your rhythm is off like ventricular fibrillation gives you that shock did we win uh, it's not an entire prognosis here, but he's squeezing hands and he's recognizing people. And this is while while on a ventilator and sedated. Very good neurological uh, uh, prognosis now, it looks like, which is what I was most worried about. Well, I think that, that so many of us were worried about that. You know, the, the idea that he had to be resuscitated, Dr. Uh, Siegel, for something like nine minutes uh, when he was on the field and then had to be resuscitated again, either on the way to the hospital or in the hospital. I mean, my concerns, and, and, and I'm not a doctor, were the same thing, the oxygen to the brain. Is he going to be okay mentally? But you're right. I mean, he was right. He was still in the game when he woke up, like, did we win? And uh, I, I think it was a very, very kind of a sweet response. And when the doctor said something like, you won, you know, for sure he won. I mean, he... By the way, they, they said you won the game of life, which actually is a message to the NFL. It might even be why the NFL then went ahead and canceled the game. I know right. that the players were giving them pressure to do so, but they have to do something for once that's above the business aspect of this. Is You know, and and, and uh, there's been so many players that... Brian Kilme was telling me this. There's so many players that have gotten injured and the game goes on. And right. this required a pause. I mean, a cardiac arrest. The game cannot go on. And the NFL, granted, makes billions of dollars. But I think there's a human aspect here. Right. Well, it's almost like the Coliseum. I mean, obviously, the results are not as dire. But it is a very it can be a very dangerous game. And I think mostly people are concerned about the head injuries and that's why, you know, the whole thing with the uh, that, that they make sure that they have the helmets on. But, you know, the idea of a uh, uh, of the heart stopping, I mean, that is so unusual. Have we seen that before, Dr. Siegel? Not in a NFL game and not anything like this. And, and, you know, we've all been talking about something called commotio cortis, which occurs when a blow to the chest 
occurs at exactly the right moment to cause the heart to stop. But that is exceedingly rare, and especially rare over the age of 20. And I think it brings up the question, is the equipment too hard? I mean, the helmets and the shoulder protectors. But we don't know that this is what he had. The one thing we're waiting on from the hospital is what was his underlying heart disease, if any. Right. If any, that's the key here. But there's also another question, Dr. Siegel, and that is with all of the, you know, like the shoulder pads and they have all these protectors, is his heart protected? Is that part of his chest where his heart is? Is that covered? No, I mean, it's not protected. And that's why, you know, we've seen rarely, occasionally a young kid getting hit with a foul tip or 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 a ball in some kind of a sport like soccer, mostly baseball, actually. Uh, can have this happen. But as you get over over the age of 20, your chest gets stronger and there's more protection naturally. So it's rare. But again, we don't know, you know, did he have a, an underlying heart issue? That That's something we have to hear from the hospital. Right. And, and so I suspect that going forward, uh, you know, there will be an issue as to whether they're protected sufficiently or whether they do, you know, sufficient physicals. You know, the question, was there an issue with his heart? You know, Dr. Siegel, there are all kinds of health nucleuses. And, and I've spoken, you know, Dr. Robert Hariri is a friend of mine and they have these yes. heart nucleuses and, you know, they do prognosis of of things that you can't imagine uh, that literally identify you as as someone who is possibly prone to whether it's plaque or Alzheimer. I mean, they can predict this stuff. And I want to just... talk about yeah. Let me yeah. talk about this for a minute because I there's a couple of, of top electrophysiologists, cardiologists that are saying something I don't agree with, which is well, you can screen and still miss stuff. Well, you can overinterpret what you get. All that's true, but good doctors find their way through this. So I think you're hinting at something here that's extremely important. I know Dr. Harari, thanks to you, and he's a great doctor. I think that uh, in high schools, the time when kids are going out for high school sports to begin to screen them, that doctors should see them, that EKG should be done, that maybe echocardiograms at some point, certainly NFL for sure. There should be major, major screenings going on. Now, there probably are, by the way. That's one of the reasons I'm not that suspicious that he might have a thickened wall of the heart, which is the most common thing, you know, that that he probably doesn't have that because I would expect the NFL to know about that. But screenings, the more the better. Yes, absolutely. So, Dr. Siegel, do you expect a change in protocol or in testing for at least in the major league football? I think they're going to have to take a close look at this. Again, depending on what happened, what caused it. If this was a one in a million, that couldn't be prevented except by saying maybe the helmets are too hard. We've been talking about that with the NFL for forever. In terms of cardiac screenings, again, I don't know their protocol. If it isn't at the highest level of screenings, they should they should up up their game, so to speak, on this. But having said that, of course, no matter what, no matter what your screening is, you know, you can't anticipate everything. But but clearly, the, the onus is on the NFL to make sure that they do tremendous screenings on, on, on people that are really dealing with very stressful, physically difficult situations. Yeah, and you know, let, let's talk just for a second in terms of the history of the NFL. The chronic uh, traumatic encephalopathy, the CTE, was the brain condition thought to be linked to repeated head injuries and blows to the head uh, that slowly get worse over time and leads to dementia. You know, that took a long time and a lot of fighting, 
you know, for the NFL to start to recognize that and for the football players to, to know the risks in football. Let's just go right to mom and dad right now. They've got a son who loves high, high school football. Now they've seen DeMar Hamlin. We know about CTE. Talk to me. What do you say to your son if he wants to play football? I'm glad you pivoted to discussion of head injuries because that's even more common. And, you know, we're dealing with that with a quarterback, Tua Tangovaloa right now, repeated head injuries, repeated concussions. They have a protocol in place with the NFL where they sideline people that have repeated blows to the head. But is it sufficient? A lot of times you don't realize this till years later. Harry Carson, the sportscaster, former NFL Hall of Famer for the New York Giants, adored him growing up. Great role model for this because he sustained a lot of head injuries. It's a repetitive repetition of blows, repetitive concussions. They accumulate and they decrease your risk long term for what you just called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. You may not know that at the time. So I think that 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 this issue of how do we best protect the head? You know, is the current helmet the right one? Again, they're hard, but but is that does that protect people, or is it what's inside the helmet that protects you the best? How how are you how are you diffusing the blows to the head? We're now going to get rid of football. That contact sport is here to play, here to stay, but we have to really look at the the safety. All right, um, now let's let's talk about pivoting. Let's segue to my least favorite conversation. <laughs> And that is, I'm so tired of it. I'm so tired of the consequences. The new Omicron XTZWABC, whatever it is, they say that it's very catchy. Yeah, well, I'm the only one that can talk about COVID without boring everyone to tears and making them say, here we go again. So that's why you have me on, Judge. You know, I have a way to to talk yeah, about it. So, you make it so, so exciting. Go ahead. <laughs> so this XBB subvariant, good news, it's in the Omicron family. Omicron doesn't get you as sick. Omicron is upper respiratory mainly. We have some immunity to Omicron. Whether you whether you got it previously over the last six months gives you some immunity or whether you had a booster, that gives you some immunity. I want everyone to have some immunity. Then we've got Paxlovid if you get sick, which is a tremendous antiviral drug that, of course, under this administration is scarce. Of course it's scarce, it's isn't scarce? it? scarce? Oh, my gosh. Dr. Mark Siegel, it's always great to have you on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. And thanks for your insight. And you know what? Uh, thank God for DeMar Hamlin and the fact that he, it looks like he's on his way to a complete recovery. Uh, and you know what? God bless all those people who play in the NFL. And let's hope that they all stay safe. Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, Judge. And, oh. and a message to, to DeMar. Did, we, did you win? Yes, you won. You won. Oh, big time. He won big time. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And never forget, everyone, join the Tunnel to Towers Foundation on its mission to, to do good in honor of America's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. This is the Judge Janine Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Bureau. Welcome back to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. Joining us now is a retired NYPD detective and now private security expert. Folks, you know, everybody talks the talk, but this is a guy who's actually walked the walk. 41 years in the NYPD, 
uh, you know, a gold shield in the 52nd squad in the Bronx, uh, last assigned to do cold case homicides as if he didn't do an, uh, enough real time homicides. Uh, please join me in welcoming uh, former detective Mike Palladino to the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers show, uh, show. Now, I'm so excited. I can't wait to get to this with with Mike. Look, everyone, Mike was someone who proudly served the NYPD for 41 years. He was president of the Detectives Endowment Association, which is the largest police detective union nationwide. One day I want to find out what that was like, but he spent most of his career in the Bronx's 43rd and 52nd precinct. Um, what what Mike has is the experience and uh, the knowledge that we need to discuss the latest, which is the Idaho student murders. Uh, This past week on uh, Thursday night, we got a copy of the probable cause affidavit that listed in about 17 or 18 pages what it was that led police to Brian Kohlberger, the defendant now being charged in the quadruple homicides. So, Mike, welcome to the Judge Janine Show. Uh, Let me just start... uh, with with the uh, with the affidavit, what did you think of it? Well, first, let me say thank you for having me on the show. Uh, so, you know, after reading the affidavit, Corporal Payne's affidavit definitely meets the burden of establishing the necessary probable cause. Reading the affidavit, uh, you get an appreciation for the amount of work the investigators had to put in. But more importantly, Judge, uh, I'm sure you would agree, it points out the, the steps taken by the killer to try and cover his tracks uh, in an attempt, you know, not to get caught. Exactly. And, you know, he did that, uh, Detective Mike Palladino, by turning his phone off around the time that uh, he went to the home of those uh, four students. He turned his phone off and then it was turned on uh, after he left the vicinity. But you know what caught him? There's a couple of things that caught him. One of the things that I thought right off the bat was if it was as bloody as, as we were hearing, there had to be a shoe print or a footprint of some sort. And sure enough, during the processing of the crime scene, investigators actually found a latent shoe print. It was located during the second processing of the crime scene by the uh, Idaho State Police forensic team uh, by first using a presumptive blood test and then amino black, which is a protein that detects a president, the presence of cellular material. Um, and it was just outside the door of DM's bedroom. Now, for the benefit of those listening, Detective Palladino, DM is the individual who uh, uh, did not get, get killed, obviously, uh, but opened her door three times and actually took a look or got a look at the murderer. He was dressed in black, all black, with a black mask, and all she saw was his bushy eyebrows. Uh, that footprint with blood on it was right in front of her room, which corroborated everything she said. He walked by her, and then he walked out of the, uh, out of the house. Why do you think he left her alive? Well, uh, I can only guess at this point, but um, as calculated as this guy was to commit these murders, he also knows that uh, 
there's a shelf life of time that he's going to be able to just stay in that house. Mm. And I think, uh, uh, you know, her opening the door at that at that moment uh, and uh, shocking her, he was probably shocked himself. And um, I think he, he just headed for the door just to exit the crime scene. Um, well, I, I would also say, uh, Judge, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you would agree, I think that the key piece of evidence here, the footprint is, of course, is important. Um, uh, but the key piece of evidence, uh, as calculating as this guy was, he left that yes. teeth behind. Yes. And with his DNA, so everything else could be circumstantial, so to mm-hmm. speak, but his DNA uh, puts him not only at the at the scene, but in in the bedroom where he killed um, some of these uh, young students. The, the two girls. Now, what's interesting, Detective Palladino, and to all my listeners, the detective is absolutely right. You know, when when DNA first came out, I remember. I mean, I was a prosecutor then. I remember saying, "It's a finger of God pointing down and saying you did it." He did protect himself. He was, and we know now from an eyewitness testimony, he was covered literally from head to toe. All she could see were the bushy eyebrows, I guess, and his eyes. But he, there was a, there was some DNA left on the button of the sheath of the knife in the bedroom of the two girls who were sleeping together. So the question is, they had DNA on that button of the sheath. Whose DNA was it? What they ended up doing, detective, they ended up going to uh, Kohlberger's father's house and getting garbage out and connecting the father's DNA to the DNA on the on the tip on that button of the sheath of the knife. Now, I guarantee you that today they actually either have a court order or got a toothbrush or his hairbrush or something else, and they have real direct one-on-one DNA that it was uh, Kohlberger's DNA. But you know what it tells me that she, tell me if I'm wrong, detective. It tells me that the two girls were the first ones that he killed. That if he went in with a knife in the sheath and he took it out, that the two girls were the ones killed first. You would go in the house covering the knife, obviously. And then he went from their bedroom to, uh, uh, I think it's uh, Kaylee and, Rosanna uh, and Ethan, the boy and the young man and the young girl. Well, uh, you know, without visiting the crime scene and based on what uh, you and I uh, are reading here in the affidavit, I would probably agree with you with that, unless something at the crime scene would indicate differently. But I, I would agree with you that. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what the police did. And you know what? God bless them for what they did. They were called the Keystone Cops. They were on it from day one, Detective Palladino. The Idaho State Police were in that house within four hours of the bodies being found. So they started the forensic analysis very early on. That crime scene was protected. Uh, And then it was good old-fashioned police work. And tell me if I'm wrong. They saw... As a result of numerous videos from residents uh, in the area, the white Elantra taking off at a high rate of speed at about 425 in the morning. We believe the murders took place between 404 and 425. And that white Elantra went in a particular direction and then the, the, the camera stopped. There's a cop 
who says, I think he's a local cop, he says that uh, from the numerous surveillance videos in the area from residential and business addresses, um, a review of the footage in his mind indicates that the guy driving the Elantra was going in the direction of Washington State. Now, that was a hunch, but it took them in one direction, and then they called the university saying, do you have white Elantras of anyone in your university? I mean, this is just smart police work. Yes. Uh, You know, the distinct difference uh, between the gumshoe detectives of yesteryear and and today is is technology. Uh, You know, um, we used to just basically rely on, as you said, a footprint, a fingerprint, and and, uh, testimony by witnesses, eyewitnesses. Now you have so much technology that supports uh, the testimony. For instance, I call it the ring of steel. The camera footage that's, that catches the car uh, on the routes that were traveled, the cell phone towers where the cell phone pings, um, tells you the, the route traveled by, by, the, uh, by the cell phone. And then, of course, the investigators using the, te- uh, the technology to establish that the, the routes were the same, the car route and, and the cell phone route was all the same. Um, so it's amazing how technology plays its role here in, in really solidifying the case. But, uh, Judge, let me ask you, I'm sure you would agree, what I'd like to see established mm-hmm. is the motive. I think establishing the motive, what, why this guy did this and, and why to these people, I think that's critical to really help eliminate or, or to get beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, Okay, well, first of all, let me tell you what I think. I think that, you know, I'll tell you, Detective, after a while, um, you know, I prosecuted for 32 years, but after a while you say, uh, you know, I don't care why they did it. You know, did they do it? Did they do it? Did they kill? And I'll let the shrinks care. But I'll tell you why your, your question is important in this case. Brian Kohlberger was a criminology student working on his Ph.D., Brian Kohlberger, the accused in the Idaho murder, had actually gone on Reddit and said, if anyone has committed a crime, something to the effect of what did it feel like after you did it, what did it feel like? He was collecting all kinds of information about killers and what they were thinking. And he actually applied for a job with the Pullman Police Department. So to me... This is your question is very important because this guy is a criminology student who's trying to figure out maybe doing a thesis for his Ph.D. I don't know if people remember this, but there was Leopold and Loeb. Uh, I think it was at the beginning of the century, two very wealthy students at the University of Chicago who studied criminology. And they made a decision that they were going to kill someone. And I guess test it out or whatever they were looking to do. They killed a 14-year-old, stabbed him to death. They thought, they called it a thrill kill. And they thought they got away with a perfect crime. uh, But, uh, of course, they didn't. And I see this as very similar. I see this as a guy who, based on his actions before, uh, was interested in the mind of of the killer. But more importantly, he targeted these people. And that's where I agree with you. Why? Why? Why did his cell phone ping ping 12 times before 
the murder in the vicinity of that cell phone tower. And, Detective, do we know what span that cell phone tower covers? Um, no, I, um, I don't think I could. Uh, I don't think we can glean that from the affidavit. Yeah, I, I didn't see it either. But he was smart enough to turn off the cell phone when he went in to kill them. He was smart enough to take off. He five days later changes the plates as he's traveling across country. And they knew it was him as he was traveling across country. It's it's really a fascinating, fascinating case. But unfortunately, the parents had to go through it. Um, oh. And uh, it, it's just a sad, sad situation. Uh, well, well you ahead. know, Your Honor, um, when you talk about the plate, now that was another attempt to uh, shield himself. But... To me, I'm starting to um, question the dad's involvement in this. You know, what did he know? Did he know anything? Um, Because it's my understanding he flew out to Idaho to drive back to Pennsylvania uh, with his son. Yes. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, being the father of five, I could uh, I could understand, uh, you know, that to some degree, especially with younger college students, but not not a 28 year old. The first question I would have asked my son is, why did you change the plate on the car? Um, He changed the plate, I believe, when they got back to, I'm not sure, five days after the the murders. He was still in Washington State. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Now, I know the plate, I believe, was was due to expire at the end of November anyway, November 30th. But, um, yeah, he did. He changed that plate. Five days uh, after the homicides, so um, that I, that would be a question I would ask one of my children. Uh, why Why did you change the plate and register the car uh, in in Washington? Okay, and I've got a question for you, Detective Mike Palladino. Uh, yes. When they were driving across country, the father and the son, everybody was talking about a white Elantra, and the, kudos to the FBI. You know, I've been critical of the FBI. When they get involved in politics, they are they're out of control. But when they focus on what they do best, which is crime, they are the best. The FBI database got a look at the the snowy look at the uh, uh, video of the car taking off, and they were finally able to identify White Elantra. What year? I think it was 2014 or 15. Um, that was in everybody's discussion. Did the father not say to the son, hey, you hear about the Idaho murders, which is 10 miles from where you live, and the guy had a white Elantra, and we're driving across country after you changed your plates in a white Elantra? You know, I got real problems with the father. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. There was so much publicity on this case. I think uh, everyone from coast to coast knew that uh, the police were looking for uh, a white Elantra connected to this particular case. And you are 100 percent right. His son was going to school 10 miles away and uh, I he knew his son had a white Elantra. And then uh, when the, when the son sh- he shows up there and the son has the, the plates changed. I, you know, uh, this is um, well, this is the work that the, the, the investigators still have to do. They still have mm-hmm. a lot of loose ends to tie up here, uh, and I'm sure they will. And, um, and we'll, we'll see how this plays out. All right. And one last thing. I think this is so important. We know that the, the criminal always returns to the scene of the crime. 
Brian Kohlberger returned to the scene of the crime based upon his phone records and I believe um, his the, the car records between 9.12 a.m. and 9.21 local time, hours after the students were slain, before the police were even called. He was out there checking out his crime scene. Sick mother, sick mother, this guy. But not insane, not insane. Anyway, Detective Mike Palladino, thanks so much for joining us on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. We look forward to talking to you again as this case goes through the system. Oh, thank you very much for having me. All right, Detective. And everyone, never forget, that's a commitment we made on 9-11. Honor it. By donating $11 a month to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. Up next here on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show, I will gavel out with my closing argument. It's all coming up here on the Red Apple Audio Network. It's the Judge Jeanine Show. This is the Judge Jeanine Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Puro. Now it's time for me to gavel out with my closing argument. So Joe Biden says he's finally going to visit the border that he's been blowing off his entire life. But is it too little too late? I'll ask you that question. He won't call the border a crisis. He refers to it as a situation. The truth is, That the only thing Biden's got to say about the border is that it's about those extremist Republicans who've refused to consider his plan. What the heck is his plan? He's now, now telling us that asylum seekers simply need to download an app. If they want asylum, they can use an app on their cell phone, call CPB, one, one, CPB, one only. That is, spell it out, not the number one. To schedule an appointment at a point of entry and make their asylum claim without crossing the border. Wait a minute. Didn't he just say, and by the way, folks, that was a quote. If you didn't understand it, it was Joe Biden. But didn't he just claim last month that he's not visiting the border because it wasn't a high priority? I got to tell you, I don't have a lot of faith in what's going to come of that border viewing. By Joe Biden. You know, a couple of thoughts from today's show. A lot of us criticize, a lot of us are down uh, on this country and on politicians and police and all that. Here's the bottom line we had the best example of mutual cooperation between local, state, and federal agencies in a quadruple homicide that captured the interest of the entire nation because of the horror in which, uh, the horrible way in which four young people were killed in their youth. State police, FBI, local police department worked together. They kept it close to the vest. There was not one leak. While they were being trashed as the Keystone cops, these men and women in law enforcement made me proud. And they should make all of us proud. This is the FBI at its best. The FBI should not be involved in politics. That's when we lose faith. But this is when they are on their game. God bless them. Moscow PD, along with the Idaho State Police. And a second thought to Mar Hamlin. Thank God 
It appears that he's well. Thank God it appears that the, uh, the feared lack of oxygen to the brain might have enormous uh, neurological uh, effects. Uh, that does not seem to be the case. So we can thank God for the medical care that he received and the fact that there is now a discussion that's going to be going on in American homes about football. A few years back, it was about CTE and, and, and damages to the head and the brain. Now we're going to talk a little more seriously about a game that can be a very dangerous one. But in the meantime, we can be proud, everyone, that there is a happy ending for Damar Hamlin. And although we can never bring those four beautiful students back, uh, there is someone in custody. And trust me, he will pay the price. And ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe we're out of time. Make sure you join us right back here next week. Same time, same place for the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.